You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Crunch Time right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station. Matt Miguez here. Broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette, FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Call us on the game hotline, 337-706-0111, or you can watch us on the simulcast here in Acadiana by going to Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. The Louisiana Rage Cajuns golf team and the LSU Tigers golf team both know where they're headed in the NCAA regionals. And coincidentally, it's the same place. <laughs> we'll talk about that. We'll look at the NBA playoffs. We'll break down the Astros' loss to the Giants 4-2 to two that you just heard right here on the game and much more. Let's bring in my producer and co-host, Mr. James Mesh. James, happy Wednesday. Game two tonight for... For the killer seas, the about to get killed seas. Oh, <laughs> you've you've lost confidence, have you? No, it's just I saw the opportunity for the joke. No, I, I think the Celtics have a good opportunity to win tonight. Now, Joel Embiid, the new league MVP. Which, by the way, if you haven't seen the video of the team's reaction, it is it is quite incredible. Uh, so if you have the time, go check that out. Joel Embiid is listed as a game-time decision, as is Marcus Smart for the Celtics. From what you saw, and we won't spend too much time on this because we're going to get into it a little, a little bit later on in the show, but from what you saw in Game 1, if you had to pinpoint one thing that the Celtics need to do differently tonight in Game 2, what would what would you say? I almost wonder if it's not even necessarily with the Celtics. I mean, they need to do better at guarding the three for sure. But I just also wonder if it was just one of those nights where Philly just couldn't miss. Which is possible. It's the same thing that you saw with the Celtics. I mean, neither of them could miss in the first half of the game. That's very that's very possible. That's possible. Because um, how often are you going to see James Harden? Which you need to guard James a little bit better for sure. But how many of those nights are we going to see him turn into prime Houston Harden again? Correct. Not not very often. More likely than not. Like, it's not going to happen as often as it used to. Correct. So, you still need to guard it better and guard the three better because there were a lot of times where they just started to try and trap. But because so much focus was on one side of the court, the other half was just wide open for an easy three-point shot, and they just kept knocking them down. That's, to me, where the one of the big issues was. For the Celtics in game one looking at the Houston Astros you know, again we'll get back to the NBA playoffs a little later on in the show looking at the Houston Astros they fell four to two to the San Francisco Giants in a game that was a pitcher's duel through five it was zero zero headed into the sixth before back-to-back RBI singles scored a pair of runs to make it two nothing in favor of the Giants in the seventh they added on another run to make it three nothing before Alex Bregman came up in the eighth and hit a two-run homer to make it three to two before Flores hits a home run in the ninth to make it four to two and that would be 
the final score winning pitcher for the Giants, Logan Webb. Seven and two. Seven and two thirds innings pitched. He gave up two runs, struck out five. He is now two and five on the season. While the losing pitcher for the Astros, Framber Valdez, goes six innings, gives up two runs, strikes out eight. He is now two and four on the season. Doval gets his fifth save of the year, pitching one inning, giving up no runs, walking one, and striking out one. With the win, the Giants are now 13 and 17. The Astros fall to 16 and 15, and they will now head on a nine game road trip through the West Coast. They will play three games against the Mariners this weekend. They will play three games against the Angels early next week. They better find themselves on the road because it has not been too great at Minute Maid Park. No. They're eight and eleven at home. Well, to to be fair. Like it's not it's I'm not saying it's doom and gloom, but it's it has not been the best where you well, no. feel like the Astros are a really good home team. You've been you've been eight and four on the road compared to eight and eleven at home. Exactly. So clearly the, the road has been your friend so far. Uh so hopefully, you know, you can find some success on this long road trip because six of these nine games are against divisional opponents. You're going to play three against the Mariners, you're going to play three against the Angels, and then you're going to go play three in Chicago next weekend before returning to Houston and playing the other Chicago team at home. See, sometimes MLB scheduling doesn't make sense to me. You're in Chicago. Wouldn't you just play both Chicago teams in Chicago? Wouldn't you just leave the south side of Chicago and just go up north and play the Cubs? Why would would the Cubs follow you to Houston? Because you saw um, a couple years back the NBA started to make that change to the schedule where it's like, look, instead of it being you going to like Golden State, then you're at home versus the Clippers, and then you head back to the West Coast. It's just just like make it a road trip. Just make it a quick road trip, get it out the way. Right. Like I just – you know why they don't do it this way, James? Because it makes too much sense. That That's what it is. It, it just makes too much sense. But when you look at this series loss to the Giants, a team who is, let, let's be quite honest, not good, it's concerning on the surface. But then when you really think about it, you look at it and go, well, look at everything the Astros are dealing with right now. You don't have Jose Altuve. You don't have Lance McCullers Jr. Now you're down Luis Garcia and Jose Arquiti. Michael Brantley still hasn't come back. Chas McCormick still hasn't come back. Jordan's playing through an injury. There, there's just a lot of little nicks and bruises early on that the Astros are going to have to figure out their way through. But it's not surprising to see them struggle through the, these growing pains, you know, four and four in their last eight games, just got to find a way to, to get things back on track. But that's the beauty of the MLB baseball season. There's 162 games. You have plenty of time. Looking at some top stories, we talked about Joel Embiid being named the NBA MVP after being a runner up each of the last two seasons. He was named the league's MVP, claiming 73 of 100 first-place votes to finish ahead of Nikola Jokic. Embiid said after 
getting the award. It's hard to win this league. It's hard to be successful in this league. There's a reason why these are the best basketball players in the world. And to be sitting here and being named the MVP is great. But then again, it's also part of my story because I've always felt like I was a role model. And I feel like just looking at my story, people from Africa can look at it and be like, wow, he did it. It's a great story. I mean, Joel Embiid has gone through so much. You know, you you look at the injuries that he suffered his last year at Kansas and into his early NBA career with, with the back issues that he had, and, and you never really knew if he was going to get to this point in his NBA career. You always knew the potential was there, but you never knew if it was actually going to happen. So for him to come to this point and to be in the MVP conversation three straight years and to finally win one, uh, just an absolutely incredible story. Uh, it, it's hard to not be excited for the guy, whether you like the Sixers or not. Um, again, just a, a fantastic story, and congrats to Joel Embiid for finally breaking through on the league's top honor. Looking at the NFL, Kirk Cousins was asked about his future with Minnesota, and he put it very simply, said, I want to be a Viking. He said it's kind of a no-brainer, and hopefully we can earn the right to do that. James, could Kirk Cousins be done in Minnesota after 2023, in your opinion? I think it kind of depends on what the QB market looks like, like if any other big-time free agents pops up, because... Unless you're just looking to just draft a quarterback in next year's draft, who else is really going to be there at the moment? They have Jaron Hall. They drafted Jaron Hall in the fifth round this year. They have Jaron Hall. Hey, he went to BYU. BYU quarterbacks tend to have great success in the NFL. Tend to make it to the league. (laughs) They tend to find a way to hang around. (laughs) Oh, Zach Wilson. But I, I, I think if nothing pops up out of it, I could see Kirk Cousins signing like an extra one, two-year deal because yep. then at that point, you don't want to have to start a rookie QB or a very young QB if you don't have to, if you can still have solid production out of Kirk Cousins. And then staying on the topic of NFL quarterbacks, Ryan Tannehill was asked about the Will Levis selection in the NFL draft, and he said that it's a little bit of deja vu. The quote says, yeah, we've been down this road before, so it's definitely a little bit of deja vu. My job is to get ready to win football games, and that's what I'm going to do each and every day. As players, you've got to control what you can control, and that's doing the absolute best that you can. Different tone this year. Still doesn't sound like he's super eager to help Min- anybody m- in the mentor? QB room. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, he still his, doesn't sound very job. mentor ready. The only reason he still has a contract, you don't really think they want Ryan Tannehill to play, do you? I mean, right now you really don't have a choice. I mean, I mean, Ma- you got to see where Will Levis is. Ma- Malik, he, Will- Malik Willis just isn't. If Malik Willis is still not showing you any signs that he can be competent for you, and if Will Levis is not showing you any good signs that he is picked up on the playbook and he is controlling the team and the team is moving towards him. If 
if they still have to go with Ryan Tannehill, you still kind of have to go with him until you see either Will, unless, until you feel like Will Levis is ready or Malik Willis is showing any spark of life. You see, I'm really so surprised that they kept Tannehill around. He has a cap hit of $36 million this year. See, look, I know numbers aren't everything. Obviously, you got to win games, but I would have almost been tempted to, to cut him and look at Malik Willis and say, hey, bud, figure it out. Ooh, that's <laughs> even, even if we suck for a year, figure it out. That is a risque business. It is. It is. But $36 million for Ryan Tannehill. I mean, he only threw for 2,500 yards, 13 touchdowns, and six INTs last year. That's not very good. He only played 12 games. But... I mean, extrapolate those numbers five games further. He barely gets to 4,000 yards? Like, that's not good in today's NFL. 4,000 yards should be the bare minimum in today's NFL. I think if you have an effective running game and your quarterback also runs it himself a good bit, you can be totally fine with a quarterback throwing for 3,500 yards. 35, yeah. 35 would be the absolute minimum if you have a running game. But if you rely on your passing attack, 4,000 is the minimum. I mean, that's not hard to do in today's NFL. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. Drew Brees was throwing for 5,000 yards. It felt like almost consistently. But again... The fact that you're going to pay a college wide receiver turned quarterback $36 million. Oof. Good luck, Nashville. That's all I'm saying. We'll take a time out here on Crunch Time. When we return, we'll talk about college golf. Where are the Cajuns going? Where are the Tigers going? It's going to be fun. We'll talk about that next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The Bro Bridge Crawfish Festival is returning this weekend at Park Hardy. General admission tickets range from $5 to $15, and you could buy an advanced three-day pass for $25. The music lineup includes Wayne Toops and Zyda Cajun, Jamie Bergeron, the Kickin' Cajuns, Gino Delafosse and French Rock and Boogie, and Chubby Carrier and the Bayou Swamp Band. Great food, great music, and great times at the Brobridge Crawfish Festival. And for more information, you can head to www.bbcrawfest.com. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Yeah, it, it really is exciting to see see your name called out on the Golf Channel. Uh, it was pretty cool. And to see this turnout here with all the support that we're having, it's been overwhelming since we won the, the conference. Uh, just the amount of support. You know that you have a lot of support, but when you do something of this magnitude, the realization of all the text messages, the emails, the phone calls, it, it, I have to say thank you, Cajun Nation, because it really is overwhelming. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns, fresh off of winning just their fourth Sunbelt title in school history. 
and their first since 2007, are now headed to the NCAA Regionals for the first time since 2012. They will head to Norman, Oklahoma, hosting the event, obviously, the University of Oklahoma. It will be played at the Jimmy Austin OU Golf Club on Oklahoma's campus. And the seeds in and who are they're going to be stacked up with are as follows. Texas Tech is the number one seed. Oklahoma is the number two. Alabama three. Ole Miss four. Wake Forest five. Duke six. LSU comes in at number seven. North Florida number eight. Colorado number nine. Kansas number 10. UNC Wilmington number 11. Louisiana number 12. Princeton number 13. And Arkansas Pine Bluff comes in at number 14. Pine Bluff keeps popping up. They do. They do. They pop up just enough for you to be like, hey, I've heard of them. Hey, I know where they are. That's in in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, isn't it? Teron Armstead. Now Mark Evans. Now Mark Evans. They're apparently pretty good at golf. Hey, I mean, good good for Pine Bluff, man. You, you got to have something to root for in Arkansas. Have you ever been to Arkansas? Yeah. Place is not good. It's not good. <laughs> it's not a good time. I have family that lives in Arkansas, and it's it's not great. Um, but anyways, you look at you look at the field. This is absolutely stacked. I mean, Texas Tech. Oklahoma, Bama, Ole Miss, Duke, LSU, Colorado, Kansas. I mean, that is a stacked field for the Cajuns. But look, I I don't want this to come off the wrong way because I don't mean it the way that it may sound. When you've only won four conference titles in school history, and this is your first regional in 11 years, Getting to this point is a success. Now, do you want to go compete, finish in the top five, and make it to the NCAA tournament? Of course you do. But I think even if this team would bow out in Norman, I think you still look at the season as a a success, right? Because when you look at this field... It's going to be very, very challenging to be one of the final five. Because that's where you have to be if you want to make the NCAA tournament. The NCAA tournament is comprised of 30 teams. It's the top five from each of the six regionals. So you're going to have to beat out some really good competition to get to that point when you're the 12th seed. And again, the top five, you look at it, Wake Forest, Ole Miss, Alabama, Oklahoma, Texas Tech. Right behind them, Duke, LSU, Colorado, Kansas, North Florida. That's a that's a tough, tough group. And also, you you look at Ar- Arkansas Pine Bluff, and another name to to come out of there. How about Willie Rofe, Saints Hall of Famer? Again, you you got to be proud for the Cajuns. You got to be proud for LSU. But when you get to this point. I think everything else is just icing on the cake from from this point on. Um, Theo Sliman has been 
the head coach for Louisiana for 15 years now. He's worked very hard to put this team back as Sunbelt Conference champions, and he's finally done it. Could not be happier for for Theo, uh, just a stand-up individual and a hell of a golf coach as well. Um, So definitely happy for the Cajuns, proud of LSU as well, looking for that to be a ton of fun. Uh, That tournament kicks off on November 15th, November 15th, May 15th in Norman, Oklahoma. Meanwhile, we'll get to the NBA playoffs now. James, who the hell is that version of Anthony Davis that we saw last night? Where did that come from? 30 points. 23 rebounds, and he sprinkled in four blocks just for the fun of it. I really thought that being at home for game one, the Warriors were going to take a one nothing advantage. But I was wrong. The Lakers showed up. The Lakers shot the ball well, shot 47% from the field. LeBron sprinkles in 22-11. and 11. You get 19 off the bench from Schroeder. You have 19 from D'Angelo Russell. I mean, James, the Lakers look good. And they've been looking good for a while. That's the thing. Because they've turned up the second half of the regular season. They got through with the play-in. And then they absolutely dismantled and embarrassed the Grizzlies. So I'm not really surprised that they came out in one game one against the Warriors. Can we talk about the fact, though, looking at the Warriors box score, that three players combined for 18 threes? Curry went six of 13. Thompson went six of 16. And then Jordan Poole came off the bench and went six of 11. 18 of 40. The three of them combined to be 45% from downtown. That's impressive. The fact that you put that kind of performance together and still couldn't win shows you just how good the Lakers were last night. 47% from the field. They shot 24% from downtown, but they were 86% at the line. 25 of 29. They out-rebounded the Warriors 53-49. to 49, And turnovers were even. Eight apiece. But 10 blocks to three in favor of Los Angeles. Game one of that series goes to the Lakers. They're up one nothing. Game two will be on Thursday night in San Francisco. Meanwhile, the other game that went down last night between the Heat and the Knicks. The Knicks evening the series, 111-106. to Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle combined for 55 points in the contest. Brunson with 30, Randle with 25. He also added in 12 rebounds. And Josh Hart coming in with 9 assists, shooting 45% from the field as a team, 40% from downtown, and they out-rebounded the Heat 50 to 34. So that series is now tied. They will shift over to Miami now for game three. Game three will be Saturday night on ABC. 
Tonight, though, just one game on the card. Sixers, Celtics. Celtics are 32-9 and at home in the regular season. They're down one nothing to, to the Sixers, though. We talked about it earlier. Joel Embiid listed as a game-time decision in this game. When I look at the stats from Game 1 and compare them to, to what the Celtics need to do tonight, you've got to take better care of the basketball, for starters. But more more importantly than that, I think Boston has to force Philly into more mistakes. I noticed in Game 1 that Boston wasn't really forcing turnovers and forcing silly decisions by Philadelphia. That's got to come from just playing tighter defense. You're really going to have to bother the ball handlers and force them into bad decisions. Force them into you know dribbling it a little too high to where you could pick the pocket. Or force them to make a bad pass because they're off balance when they need to get rid of the ball. It's things like that that are going to go a long way in a tight series like this. But when you look at it, the line is Boston minus 7.5. I'm taking the the Sixers with that line. Yeah, I'd probably take the Sixers on that line as well. Because I feel like 7.5, 8 points is a little too much. I think this is going to end up being a 3, maybe 4 point ball game. But you think? Do you think the Celtics win tonight? I they think, even the series. I would take the Celtics to win to even the series, because you kind of have to. If you have to go to Philly down 0-2, and then Embiid, if he isn't back tonight, comes back then. Correct. Oh, dude. Correct. You're done for. You would you would be in a lot of trouble. You would certainly be in a lot of trouble. Um, also, looking at some more top stories in sports. Churchill Downs is now investigating after four horses died in the lead-up to the Kentucky Derby this Saturday. Wild on Ice was a horse that was going to race in the Derby but had to be euthanized after suffering a leg injury. And then three other horses died at the facility after suffering musculoskeletal injuries during a turf race on Tuesday. According to Churchill Downs, while a series of events like this is highly unusual, it is completely unacceptable. We take this very seriously and acknowledge that these troubling incidents are alarming and must be addressed. That is, uh, it's rare that you hear about four horses suffering Injuries that, that force them to be euthanized in, in a matter of days at the same facility. Not saying that anything suspicious is happening, but it just seems a little odd. And then also Erling Holland today nets his Premier League single season record 35th goal for Manchester City. 35 goals in a season and the season isn't even over yet. They still play four more matches before the season ends. And then lastly, 
Jackson Mahomes is in the news once again. Surprise, surprise, surprise. He was arrested in Kansas City earlier today facing aggravated sexual battery after an event at a Overland Park bar outside of Kansas City. Um, He has been assigned a preliminary hearing for May 11th where he will be required to appear in person. A brief court appearance via Zoom was conducted earlier today, but he did not speak. Uh, he's been, Like I said, he's been charged with three counts of aggravated sexual battery and an additional fourth count of battery. Some people just can't handle success. Some people just can't handle the fame. We'll take a time out here on Crunch Time. When we return, we'll recap a wild night over in Hammond for LSU baseball, getting a big win over Southeastern. We'll do that next right here on The Game. This is Crunch Time on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. FanDuel is the only sportsbook app where you can bet the Kentucky Derby happening this Saturday. Right now, all customers can get a no-sweat derby bet up to $20. That means you'll get $20 back if your win bet doesn't win. I'm going to take confidence game at 30-1 to odds to win the Kentucky Derby. They've got great promotions every single day. The app is safe and secure, and then you're going to get paid instantly when your bet hits. So bet America's number one race this Saturday with America's number one sportsbook. Just visit racing.fanduel.com slash KLWB for your chance to get a no-sweat derby bet up to $20 this Saturday for the Kentucky Derby. That's racing.fanduel.com slash KLWB. You must be 21 and older and reside in Louisiana permitted parishes only. Offer valid on first derby wager, verified FanDuel racing account required, refund issued in non-withdrawable racing site credit that expires on June 12, 2023. Restrictions apply. See terms at racing.fanduel.com. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 438, 437, almost 438. Welcome back to Crunch Time, broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, call us on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. LSU baseball run rules Southeastern last night, 10 to nothing in seven innings. The Tigers getting three in the second, four in the fourth, and then two more in the seventh. Tacked on one in the fifth as well to seal the deal. The scoring started with a Hayden Travinsky at the plate. Wild pitch scores Jared Jones to make it one nothing, And then the, later in the second, Gavin Duga hits a two-run shot to left field to make it 3 nothing. In the fourth, Dylan Cruz reaches on a fielder's choice to score Duga. White advances to third. Cruz scores on a wild pitch. Hayden Travinsky gets a two-run single. Tommy White reaches on a fielding error in the fifth to score Duga's. And then in the seventh inning, Tommy White, a two-run shot to left field, scores Dylan Cruz, makes it 10-0. And that would be all she wrote. In the game, Gavin Guidry gets the win. Two and one-thirds innings pitched. He gave up no hits, no runs. Walked one, struck out four. Blake Money got an inning, 
Micah Bucknum got two-thirds of an inning. Nate Ackenhausen got an inning. Will Helmers got a full inning of work. And then Sam Dutton rounded it out with an inning of work himself. The pitching staff as a whole only gave up two hits, no runs. They walked four, struck out nine, and they hit three batters in the contest. Meanwhile, for Southeastern, their pitching staff combined for 12 hits, 10 runs, six of them earned. They walked six, struck out nine, had five wild pitches in the game, and they hit one batter. Now LSU will go on the road for a three-game series with Auburn. James, does LSU start next week on a what is now a what would be a seven-game winning streak if they swept Auburn? What is, what is your expectation for the series on the Plains this weekend? My initial thought is I think they end up going like two for three. So, okay. So you don't have them sweeping. I don't have them sweeping. I think they end up losing either game two or game three. You know, when you when you look at Auburn this season, they come into this series with a record of 25-18-1. They're 9-12 and 12 in the SEC. You, you look at some of the games that they've played. We talked earlier about them. We talked yesterday about them dropping two out of three to Southeastern early on in the year. They got swept by Arkansas as well. You picked up a win against number two ranked Florida. You won one out of three against AM, one out of three against Alabama. Then you turn things around a little bit, winning two out of three over Mississippi State. And then you picked up two out of three against number two South Carolina to now give you a little bit of momentum heading into the matchups this weekend. Six o'clock on Friday, eight o'clock on Saturday, and then 1 p.m. On Sunday, let's go to the game hotline now. Doc, what's going on? Not much. I was kind of curious to think um, what you guys thought of all the seven run uh, or seven inning, ten run rules uh, going on. And um, you know, it sounds good. It sounds like LSU's dominating and whatnot. But I was kind of curious to what you guys thought if um, this actually, in some way, shape, or form, may actually help or hurt LSU based on the fact that their weakness seems to be their bullpen and we are with these 10 run rule games you're actually not giving your chance your bullpen a chance to actually play see how they do and do you guys think that um, when we start playing like distance um, do you think this is going to be a hindrance i don't know i don't know that it's necessarily going to be a hindrance because a lot of the games that you see these 10 run rules you you typically see a johnny holstaff approach i mean you look at the game last night lsu threw six pitchers in the contest um, so, so they were able to get their bullpen some work and combined you only gave up two hits, both hits coming from one pitcher. Um, so I, I don't know that it's necessarily a hindrance. Actually, from my vantage point, I, I think it's an advantage because any time you can play two less innings and, and save those arms and save those legs for your, for your fielders, I think that's huge. You don't think, though, that, I mean, but in the whole thing about baseball is that you know, it's, it's, I mean, I, I, you know, there is, it's a fine line between getting an arm ready for those long ones and saving. And I know it's a, you know, it's a fine line. And, and with pitchers nowadays as a, as a position, I'm always complaining that, you know, I think kids and these arms are being worn out way before and they don't get enough rest. But, um, you know, there is something to be said about an arm has to get used to throwing 
a little bit. For sure. For sure. Um, I, I see it both ways, but but I, I think there's more reward than there, than there necessarily is a risk here. Okay. Uh, that's what I was curious about. Appreciate the call, man. Yeah, I mean, I I see it from both sides. I see it as a, you know, you need to get more reps, and you can't do that if you're playing two less innings. I I, I can see that, but again, I just think it's more important for a game that you're winning ten nothing, and you've only given up two hits. I just don't see a reason for that game to continue. Uh, let's go back to the game hotline now, Matt. What's going on? Hey guys, I, I don't have a problem with the ten run rule. I mean, you, you know, you get in a situation where all you're doing is killing time, and uh, fans start leaving anyway. So what's the point? As far as the the bullpen being weak at LSU, look across the SEC. There's not one pitching staff where you have a lockdown Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night guy, a Sunday guy with a with a closer. I mean, most teams have uh, maybe one, possibly a second, a solid Saturday guy. And then from there, it's it's pitched by committee. So that's league-wide. I think the only team in the country right now that has a solid pitching lineup is Wake Forest because they really have a good Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and closer. Um, but then again, I don't know what their league is like. So they may be you know, a big fish in a small pond. When you get to the SEC right now, you, you, it's just a, a matter of outslugging the other team. I mean, all for the sure. bullpens are like that. They don't really – you know, they get the work that they get, and, and you hope for the best. Yeah, you know, you, you said that it's league-wide, and I agree with you. It's definitely across the SEC, but I would take it one further and, and say that's become a, a nationwide wide issue. I mean, you look at the, you look at the Sunbelt Conference with UL. I mean, UL struggled to, to put a pitching rotation together, and a lot of teams in their conference have struggled to put a pitching rotation together. So I, I would say that it's more of a national problem this year than, than just concentrated to a single conference. But I, I see your point for sure. All right, guys. Have a great afternoon. Appreciate it, man. You too. Yeah, I mean, for for some reason, I don't I don't know what what happened in twenty twenty three, but pitching seems to just be down for everybody. But Matt did bring up a good point. Wake Forest does have a excellent pitching rotation. I mean, top to bottom, every single guy shows up and plays well. Um, so. Look, I think LSU from a starting rotation point is going to be fine. I mean, Paul Skeens, you know exactly what you're going to get from him every Friday night. Ty Floyd has come around, like I said the other day. Christian Little has played well at points as well. I think it's just, it's not a talent issue. It's a consistency issue with the Tigers' bullpen. Everybody in that bullpen is talented. Can they be consistent? And obviously, you, you've had you've dealt with injuries with Chase Shores and Garrett Edwards and things of that nature. But you have to overcome that. You have to find more consistency in that bullpen if you're going to win a national championship. Let's go back to the game hotline, Chad. What's going on? Ah, uh, not too much, my friend. Good afternoon. Uh, not just that, man. The um, the the game is now switched to uh, offense. The strike yeah. zone is a lot smaller to me. Uh, than it has been in the past, and the balls are completely different as well. Uh, the balls are somewhat juiced now. Uh, but to me, it's more the strike zone. Uh, some of those, a lot of those calls, a lot of those balls would have been strikes last year, the year before. Uh, that's just my opinion, man. But uh, I feel like the strike zone has made a huge difference uh, with all these runs. Thank yeah. you, bro. 
Appreciate the call, man. You you, you brought up the baseballs. That that's definitely been uh, an impact. I don't know just how much they've quote unquote juiced them, but there's definitely more pop coming coming off the baseball in in today's game. I mean, it, it's not abnormal to see a guy with an exit velocity of 105 to 115. You know, somewhere in that range. That that's a common occurrence nowadays. Um, and I just don't feel like that it used to be as common as it is now. Uh, so I could definitely see the point about the baseballs for sure. Uh, LSU will hit hit the road, like I mentioned. They'll play Auburn this weekend. Friday at 6. Saturday is at 8. And then Sunday is at 1 o'clock. You can catch Friday's game right here on the game with pregame beginning at 5.30. We'll take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number one right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game has a brand new app and it is your one-stop shop for all things Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Download the free mobile app today for your Apple or Android device. Just search the game Southwest Louisiana. That way, no matter where you are, you can listen to the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up at the goner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Wrapping up hour number one here. At the top of hour number two, we have a very special guest, Matt. One Tim Brando. So don't miss out on that. But let me tell you, poll question of the day. It's a foodie poll question since it's a Wednesday. What is your favorite Mexican dish? You love tacos? You love yourself some burritos, maybe some tamales, or fajitas? For me personally, I would actually go fajitas even though as much as I love burritos and tacos, I think fajitas are just a little bit different for me. It depends on my mood. Sometimes I just want something simple and I go with tacos. Right. But then there's some times where... I just want to sit at a restaurant, get a bunch of steam in my face, and build me a little fajita. Now, when you order fajitas real quickly, what's your go-to in terms of, of like, what meat do you use? Steak and or chicken. Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll take that and then raise it up one. Most places do, like, fajita trios. Oh, yeah, where you can also add where, the shrimp. Oh, too. Yeah. Oh. Oh, man, that's the good stuff right there. But yeah, if you haven't voted yet or commented on either Facebook or Twitter, go ahead. I know a couple of people have kind of agreed with me, like Blaine on Facebook. He said fajitas, steak and chicken. Edward also said steak fajitas with large margaritas. He also had Steve on Twitter saying shrimp tacos are his favorite. He had three yesterdays for Taco Tuesday. And then Ralph had said, man, love some good combo fajita steak, shrimp and chicken, like you just said. Something about that sizzling plate that sends the salivary glands into overdrive. So, I mean, I'm telling you, man, feed. Even though it's so easy to do tacos and burritos, can never go wrong with a fajita. But kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier with the NBA playoffs, man, last night, the Warriors, 
How about Jordan Poole? With 15 seconds to go, chucks up a 30-footer for probably closer to 35-footer, but yeah. Like, damn near the logo. And I think he was closer it. to half court than he was the three to the regular three-point line. And drilled it. No? No. Then I maybe saw something different. I think you saw something totally different. Cause he, I, I saw something different then. Somebody must have shared a, a different video than no, I saw. No, he, he, he airballed it, was a, it. It wasn't an airball, but it was a terrible shot selection. You still had so much time to potentially tie it, and he just whiffed on that one. Well, that's a shame. Because you still had so much time. Curry got double teamed, so they dished it to, Jor- to Jordan Poole, and he absolutely just, for no, no hesitation, I don't know if there were some baddies courtside for him. Oh, my God. Where he just decided, let me sink this oh. form real quick. Mwah. Love you, ladies. Don't you don't you hate when people do that? Like, oh, man, I'm so confident. Let me let me step back from 30-something feet and drill it. I, and see, a, you... I see it way too often with, like, Absolutely pickup games where don't. people will start shooting from way beyond when they have shown no reason to. I mean, I've kind of done it a couple times, but I end up making it. But... There have been a lot of times where I'll see someone just chuck up some stupid shots, and I'm like, dude, I know it's a pickup game, but like, pass the ball. You're right. o- you're o for seven. <laughs> I don't care if you made a lucky one. See, pass the damn ball. That would be me. That would be me. I- I'm the guy that goes o for seven, but I'm just gonna keep shooting because that's the only way you get out of a slump. Make a layup. Just gotta keep shooting. Go shoot a la- go back door. Stop I'm, having the ball so much. I'm a big guy. I, I can't drive to the rim. I just either stand there on the block or stand yeah, there behind need, the line. You don't need to hold the ball for 30 seconds. That's true. And waste our damn time. That's true. That's very true. Um, in hour number two, of course, we're going to talk with Tim Brando at the top. We're also going to talk with Brendan Ertle. And James, in between there, I, I want to have a conversation. I saw an article grading individual Saints draft picks. They graded each pick rather than the draft as a whole. And some of them are very, very intriguing, including a guy that we thought was a great pick in Nick Saldaveri, the offensive lineman out of Old Dominion, gets graded as a C-? minus. Thought that was intriguing. Also, the, the Brian Breezy grade might uh might shock some people now i know we did some gradings yesterday just like quickly off top but i'm with ray like i don't know why we're instantly trying to grade how someone did on a draft i know we may think that a guy maybe got taken a little too high than he should have or someone just fell but it's like well you graded on paper it's just a weird concept to me because they they haven't even played. How do you know how it how it worked out? Because we're speculators. That's what we do. I know, but it's it's that such, that is that is the field in which we work in. It's such a dumb concept. We we look at things on paper and then we see how it plays out. But what we've got right now is what it looks like on paper. So we're going to talk about and and grade what it looks like on paper. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two, we're going to kick it off with legendary sportscaster Tim Brando. Of course, Brendan Ertle joins us for Who Dat Wednesday at 5.30. All that and more coming up. Hour number two of Crunch Time right here on The Game. You're clocked out. 
We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's our number two of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion. Houston Astros, Matt Miguez, James Mesh, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. Here in Acadiana, you can check us out on our simulcast on Stadium 32.3, Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. We are broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. In hour number one, we talked about the NBA playoffs. We talked about some college golf and where both the Cajuns and Tigers are headed. And we talked about the Houston Astros falling to the San Francisco Giants earlier today. Now here in hour number two, we're going to talk a lot about the New Orleans Saints and look at the new college football playoff schedule for once it turns to 12 teams. And to help us do that, legendary sportscaster and Louisiana's own Tim Brando joining us on the game hotline. Tim, really appreciate you taking the time. How are you, sir? Good afternoon, Matt. I'm great. Good to be with you. So let's start with the college football playoff format going from four to 12 teams. And I love the way that they have set this up. The sixth highest, the six highest ranked conference champions and then six at larges. And the first rounds are going to be at on campus sites. How critical is that going to be for colleges and universities to have that sort of revenue stream if their team makes the playoff? That's huge, and uh, I think that there will be changes to it, Matt. I I don't anticipate these dates uh, being uh, solid dates for the long term future. I think they're I think they're what they had to do right away because the calendar is where it is. And uh, a lot of fans may not realize this, but, you know, getting, getting dates and sites for semifinals and uh, championship games is not a, an easy thing to do when you're only a couple of years out. So, uh, you know, you have to take into account where, you know, who's, who's got a stadium booked uh, at, a, at a specific time. Uh, and the other factor that comes into play right now is that the academicians are still not used to or are not ready for, okay, changing the potential opportunities for finals to be taken at a given time so that um, the schools can play, you know, their games when they need to play them. I know that sounds moot now with the world of um, uh, transfer portal (laughs) and, and, uh, NIL, but it's true. I mean, right. this is this is coming up really, really fast. Even though for fans it's not this year, it's next. Seems like a long way off. It's really not, particularly when you're trying to plan something as vast as this from you know around the countryside. To your point about home fields, it's magnificent. And and I'm just going to tell you right now, I think that uh, the the new television contract for this, which will not be in play. Uh, when we go to the first 12-team playoff. It, it's going to be negotiated next year, and the new contract will go in play in 2026. When that happens, it's my belief that we will see a 12-team format move to 16 teams. 
and mm. that the top four teams will no longer be getting a bye, which they will get in the first year. In the first year, the top four teams uh, earn the right to uh, move ahead to the next round. And so the home team will be the lower-seeded team. So the number five seed plays at home against number 12, six plays Correct. 11, seven plays 10, and so on. Okay. Uh, the top four teams sit out and await the winners of those games, and the playoffs evolve from there. It's my view that after they see from a financial standpoint what this is going to do, uh, and and the networks more importantly, and there will be multiple networks involved in the new television deal, this current format of four teams is a part of the ESPN contract that's in play for this year and the year after that, Okay. When they go to the 12-team format the first time around, it'll all be on the ESPN family of networks. Correct. But the new television contract will be bidded out and is going to be worth well over a billion with a B, and in my view could be even heavier than what their projections are once they go to 16 teams. You're not going to add another week by going to 16. You're right. just going to have the top four teams involved as well. The other issue here in terms of the dates, and, and you see some of these dates, and you go, okay, well, wow, why do they have to move it there? Well, you know, the problem is the NFL playoffs are underway now. You know, you're getting into those dates when you get into, you know, uh, mid to late January. And so the television people are having to take a look at that. And when you've only got one network involved in it, which is the case right now, then uh, it, becomes, it becomes even more problematic when you've got two networks involved. And, of course, they're also right. in business with the NFL, just as they are with the college football playoff. So I think you're going to see a lot of changes with the dates uh, in the not-too-distant future after we go to 12. But you're right, this is great news, and it's going to make an, an enormous amount of money. And I think, ultimately, the players are going to reap some benefit from some of that money as well by virtue of getting, uh, you know, their cut. I think they will get a piece of the economic pie here, which is, again, another one of the reasons why I think it's incumbent upon the college football playoffs to not allow the top four teams to just sit that opening week. Let them play. Let those fans of those teams ranked between one through four have the opportunity to have another home game. No. Uh, And and, that's, that's the wise thing to do. It's the prudent thing to do, and I think that's what will happen. Again, that's that's a little further down the road, but I'm just letting you know right here and right now, I believe that's going to happen. Now, when you look at this format, obviously the, the six New Year's Six Bowls are, are going to be in play as the Fiesta Bowl, Peach Bowl, Rose Bowl, and Sugar Bowl will be used as the quarterfinal games in 2024 and 2025, and then the Orange Bowl and Cotton Bowl will be the two semifinals. But when you look at the first round matchups scheduled for December 20th and December 21st, how does this affect the regular bowl games, if at all? Well, I don't know that the regular bowl games are going to be affected uh, at all, frankly. Uh, again, one network controls pretty much all the bowls, and one network, at least for the moment, controls the college football playoff, and that network is ESPN. So they certainly have enough channels to take care of what other bowl considerations there are. My my guess is they're not going to schedule a, a, a non-playoff bowl game opposite that bowl game. Uh, so there might be some movement in terms of dates 
especially for those games that are played normally prior to Christmas. And those are usually games, uh, bowl games involving teams that are outside the so-called Power Five or Power Six at this at this stage. Uh, a game like the one we have in Shreveport might be affected, you know, like the Independence Bowl, uh, as an example. But they, they can work around that with ease. It's not going to really impact them that much at all. I think the college football playoff will certainly take uh, and, and build more interest and, and can honestly help maybe affect some of the ratings for some of the non-playoff games just to make people aware college football exists. Where we've been in this godforsaken BCS and 14 playoff era has been at a point where we stopped playing, really, college football right. uh, after Thanksgiving weekend, and then we didn't, and we sat there for like 31 days before the games that the, really mattered. The good stuff happened, right? Now we're going to have games going on in the month of December, and and college football will remain viable and be on the calendars of fans and not long gone and forgotten. One of the reasons why the ratings for the CFP have not done well has been because of that long 30, 31-day layoff between uh, the championship games being played uh, that first week in December and then no games, okay, none that mattered until we got to, you know, at or around January the 1st. we got to eliminate that, and that's what this is going to do. Now, looking at college football, Tim, talk to me about NIL and transfer portal. You know, we've talked about this on multiple occasions throughout the country where, you know, is it better for college football? Is it hurting college football? Now we've had some time to let NIL take its full effect. And of course now the the transfer portal as well. Where where do you stand right now? Do you think it's been beneficial for college football or, or do you think it's kind of been a hindrance? Absolutely. Anybody that says otherwise has either buried their heads in the sand or they just are living in some sort of la-la land about the way it used to be when they were in school. And and I'm sorry, you know, I'm 67 years old, and most of the people that are my age are the ones the most about it. And they, they just have stopped uh, having any forward thinking at all. Uh, I'm sorry, we're not living in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. We're not. And players do deserve more than just a scholarship for the time and effort they put in. You know, when, when guys were playing for Old State U back in the 70s and 80s, they they weren't having to put in 24-hour, 365, 24-7 workouts. Basically, today's college football athlete is, is so busy at trying to stay, A, eligible, and B, healthy because of year-round workouts. There's no way they can do anything else. It is very much like the pro game. Uh, it wasn't that way. Even, gosh, 20 years ago, it wasn't that way. Uh, and the, the game has changed measurably since then. Are there problems with it? Sure. I mean, I, I don't like um, uh, the notion that, you know, a guy can play for four different schools in a six-year period of time. That's not good for the game. We need to legislate it uh, in some manner. And I do think that the commissioners of the power conferences in college football are going to work towards that end. Um, once they get uh, some congressional help, and I do think that eventually we will get some congressional help. It's going to take both sides of the aisle to make sure that some of these state laws that give uh, maybe Texas and Florida 
in Alabama and Louisiana, clear-cut advantages over states like California, Arizona, Minnesota, and Michigan. Uh, we got to we got to fix that. There's got to be a way for there to be a national uh, set of bylaws that govern the way both um, not not just NIL but NIL and the portal. For sure, you know, you, it, it's got to be done. One affects the other uh, in in various ways. Uh, some of this is you know people are pointing out now what Deion Sanders is doing. And they're going bonkers about it. Like, well, he's just turning his roster completely over. This this is more like a pro team. Well, you know, Dion is taking advantage of something that is in play. Uh, you know, at a place like Colorado, if you want to get a quick fix, that's what you've got to do. And he can attract great talent. So he's, in effect, cut a lot of players that were just in a spring game. Okay? People think that that's, boy, that's just not a good look. Well, Dion's not in the in the job. His job right. description is not to worry about the optics. It's to win football games. So we do have to do a better job of governing, from a national standpoint, college football. And I think the commissioners of the sport know that, get that. But they're going to be better suited to do it once they've been able to get this new playoff system in play. I think a lot of fans will really that are that are having trouble with this. We'll begin to understand when we do, we, we do go to the 12-team format how much more fun and how much more entertained they'll be. You know, college football, because of this BCS system and top four college football playoff system, has been an elitist-only sport. You know, we always knew who the four, five, or six teams were that were going to get in. It was an exclusive uh, invitational, really, for the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Ohio States, the Georgias, and occasional LSU but nobody else need apply. Now, with the 12 teams, and as you mentioned, six at large, we're going to get connectivity around the country. And, and that will, I think, bring a lot more eyeballs and a lot more fans back to the game that have been sort of out of the, the college football loop for a long, long time. It's big down here, obviously. It's not as big in other parts of the country, and this is going to help that. And frankly, I think for the part of the country that we're in, uh, we're just going to get more excited by the day once it happens. Now, Tim, as we begin to wrap up, you know, looking now that spring practice has come and gone, right. look, looking at the national landscape, who, who's really stood out to you as, as we head into the summer and get ready for the season? Well, honestly, I don't think we've learned very much at all about uh, the teams and the personnel and what we're going to see because so much can happen between now and then. I think the most over-publicized non-event in sports – is spring football, okay? Most of these guys that played, uh, you know, if they stayed healthy, that was really all that mattered. Uh, what did we learn from the spring game at, uh, at Alabama? Well, we learned they don't have a quarterback. That's what we learned. So now they're trying to get, uh, you know, the quarterback from Notre Dame who's going to come with his offensive coordinator uh, as a transfer that's going to be in there. And I think that what we have learned at, at a few other places is like LSU's got a great quarterback room, you know, with two guys that, that probably start uh, at just about all the schools in the SEC, but one of them's going to have to sit at LSU. The reality is because of where we are in the spring you know, part of the season and because of the influx of transfer portal activity that's going to be happening between now and fall camp, 
Um, look, we know that Georgia is light years ahead of everyone and didn't even have to have a player that was a transfer on its team last year, and they're returning a ton of talent. That's true for a lot of other schools as well, whether they're in the SEC or in the Big 12, where uh, teams like uh, TCU and Kansas State also return a lot of talent to their program. Uh, I, I suspect that we will see, because of the movement from the Pac-12 into the uh, Big Ten with UCLA and USC, you're going to see in their final year of participation in the Pac-12, you're going to see some real Hatfield and McCoy shootouts and rivalries in that league. And when Texas and or Oklahoma go on the road one last time in the Big 12, those are going to be wild shootouts as well. We're going to have a lot of energy and a lot of emotion. Matt, this time of year, and it might be true, for instance, from a Saints standpoint, where fans are going, oh, I can't believe we didn't go with this guy or that guy in the draft. I frankly thought the Saints had a wonderful draft and helped their team where they needed some help in both their offensive and, and defensive fronts and, and on the edge with, with, with more wide receivers for Derek Carr to work with. But I think what we're going to find at the college level is the fans that are moaning and groaning and whining and griping right now about NIL and Transfer Portal, once toe meets leather and those players are out on their field playing for their state or for old state U and whatever school they represent, they're going to be talking about how great the sport is. And and it still is, in my view, uh, the greatest out there in the fall. College football takes a backseat to no other sport. Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer Tim Brando joining us here on the Game Hotline. Tim, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, enjoy the ramp-up of college football because I have a feeling it's about to heat up over the next couple of weeks, and uh, hopefully we can have you on again soon. You bet. Anytime, Matt. Keep it up. The journey's the best part. And there he goes, Tim Brando, Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer. We'll take a timeout here on Crunch Time 520 on your Wednesday, 10 minutes away from Brendan Ertle joining us for Who That Wednesday right here on The Game. This is Crunch Time on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you tired of your boring man cave? Well, the game 1037 Lafayette on 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to win a new recliner from Borderlands Furniture, flat screen TV from AVI, and more. It's the Ultimate Man Cave Makeover powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 524. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Give us a call on the game hotline 337-706-0111. Here in Acadiana is again, you can watch us on the simulcast on Stadium 32.3 or by Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Draft grades came out for the individual picks that the New Orleans Saints made over the weekend. Let's start with number 29, Brian Brissy. 
It says the Saints needed to beef up their defensive line with the losses of both David Onyemata and Marcus Davenport. And Bercy is a high motor player who did not play as well later in his college career due to injuries. He also lost his sister early in the 2022 season after a battle with brain cancer. Bercy showed flashes of athleticism and power and eased some concerns by testing well at the combine. He has the ability to play multiple different spots on the D-line and can be a productive player in both the run game and pass rush. He was given a grade of C plus at 40 Isaiah Foskey the Saints are attacking the defensive line in this draft with the addition of Isaiah Foskey after picking Breezy in round number one Foskey has outstanding length and fits the profile of a New Orleans Saints edge rusher he may have been a bit overlooked in this draft and has been compared to Marcus Davenport he's a grade of B minus in the third round you take Nick Salvadari at 103 Nick Salvadari is a tough and smart player who lacks ideal athletic traits but does have position flexibility. He had a solid performance at this year's Senior Bowl as well, a grade of C- on that pick. Jake Hayner lacks ideal size for the quarterback position, but he is extremely smart and extinctive. He does not have a big arm, but he is accurate and will be able to run the Saints' offense. A C plus. The best grade that they were given for a draft pick is at pick 195 with wide receiver A.T. Perry out of Wake Forest. Perry is a good-sized wideout for the Saints who can bully smaller defenders down the field. He does not have elite top-end speed, but is a good route runner who will use his big frame to be a friendly target for new quarterback Derek Carr. They graded that draft pick an A. Look, I think the Saints did well in this draft. I think they addressed a lot of needs that they had. You needed to beef up the off- the defensive line a little bit more. You can never have too much depth on the O-line. You got a quarterback that you can trust if something with Derek Carr goes wrong. Um, a guy that you can mold into being your future franchise quarterback. You got a really good wide receiver late in the draft. You picked up a great running back in Kendra Miller. And, I mean, again, like I said the other day, I, I give it a solid B, maybe even a B plus, uh, when, when you look at the way that this draft went down. Speaking of the Saints, Brendan Ertle posted on Twitter earlier today announcing some jersey changes for the New Orleans Saints. Brian Edwards will wear number 11. Isaac Yidam will wear 27. Nick Anderson will wear 40. Shaq Davis will wear 80. Cy Barnett will wear 81. Anthony Johnson will wear 36. Alante Taylor will change to number one. And safety Ugo Amadi will be the first Saint to ever wear the jersey number of zero. Better come up with a big-time legacy out of Ugo. I mean, you, 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 can't, can't, you can't wear zero and be a scrub. You're going to need to make no. some plays. No, you, you you definitely, especially especially not the first guy to ever do it. You're going to have to set the tone. The the first guy in franchise history to wear number zero has to be a dog. So, like, Ugo, he's probably not going to see too much playing time when it comes to defense. But if he makes some plays like we had seen with, like, Justin Hardy and others on special teams. Correct. Then we can work with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. But it's like if you can't do either, it's true. You got to be able to do. You got to be able to provide something. You can't wear a premium number like zero if you're going to wear zero and just absolutely not play well. Right. Speaking of football in the NFL and 
rookie opportunities. This one kind of came out of left field this morning. It was announced at the end of the college football season, January, February, that Zion Hill Green would be undeclaring from the NFL draft due to some medical issues, and he was retiring from the game of football. Well, today it comes out that he's getting a minicamp opportunity with the Carolina Panthers. I I didn't see this coming, James. Now, look, I'm happy for Zion. I hope it works out because that's absolutely incredible if it does. But at that point, you feel like, depending on how he plays, that could be an absolute steal. Absolutely, because you would have you would have anticipated he would have been a guy that I, I think he would have been drafted. drafted. I think he would have been drafted. So the fact that he had said like he had, that he was going to retire, and then they give him a camp invite if he makes the team, and then has himself a nice role, you'll be like, wow, that's an absolute win for the Panthers. Looking at some more Saints jersey numbers, I saw Kendra Miller would be wearing number 25 for the New Orleans Saints. A.T. Perry going to wear 17, which which was an interesting move as well. Um, and also earlier this week, it was announced that the Saints have agreed to terms with rookie free agent wide receiver Malik Flowers. Something about wide receivers with the last name Flowers this year. That's now the second one to to come out of the, the draft process. Um, hopefully he's as good as Zay is because, I mean, first-round talent right there in, in Zay Flowers out of Boston College. Coming up next, we'll talk with Brendan Ertle about the draft. We'll get his thoughts. Plus, we'll talk OTA's mini camp. Who are some players to watch? and who really needs to make an impact. All that and much more coming up as we do Who Dat Wednesday with Canal Street Chronicles' Brendan Ertle right here on The Game. He's going to go. Touchdown, Saints. Who's ready for some New Orleans Saints talk? We are. Here is Who Dat Wednesdays with Canal Street Chronicles' Brendan Ertle on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Ertle, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing good. Just stretching, you know? Okay, that's very funny. That's very funny. So yeah, I, yeah, whatever. So give me we, we haven't got to talk a whole lot since the NFL draft. Give me your thoughts on not not just the Saints draft, but the draft as a whole. Man, it, it was a, it was a good draft. I I, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, if if you're a fan of the movie Draft Day, uh, I, I advise that which you, you which you should all print. be. Oh well, um, I I think you got to find some help there. Um, horrible movie, by the way. Um, Wrong. They need to make a draft day movie about this move and about uh, this draft. The Texans picking two, trading back up to three. They get their franchise cornerstone on offense and defense. But they have the huge risk of potentially sucking next, next year and giving the Cardinals, you know, a top three pick if they do um, suck. So I thought it was a pretty good draft all around, and uh, I thought the Saints did – you know, kind of exactly what we thought they would, which is extremely surprising. You you don't believe that Draft Day is a bad movie? You don't believe that? I don't think it's a bad movie, but I just think they don't interpret the NFL correctly. Like, well, that's not the point. I I know, but it kind of is. He's calling he's calling the Seattle Seahawks team a, a pancake eating, 
you know, dude, and they're doing all these trades, and all he gets in return is a punt returner. I mean, like, it was just a lot of a lot of going on, and he's dating one of the coworkers, which we've seen isn't a good thing. You know, Dan Snyder. I just it's not it's, it's not a lot of good going on in there. All right, what were your thoughts on the Saints draft? We'll start with round one, Brian Brissy. What were your thoughts on that pick? We talked about it. You know, the biggest need going into this draft was DT. They addressed it. Brian Brzee, super physical, super athletic. You know, the RS scores is something the Saints value. And uh, I know he's battled through some things, and he's had some ups and downs in his, in his collegiate career. And uh, the main thing about him is he battled a kidney infection, had a season-ending injury one year. His poor little do- uh, little sister died. And he's still producing numbers. I mean, that's been something that in the past we've drafted these players that don't really have much to to look on. But you go still watch the tape, and you know he had 17 quarterback hurries um, at defensive tackle. That, that that's pretty impressive. And um, you look at the history of the NFL defensive tackle uh, rookie defensive tackles don't usually produce in the rookie season. So if he gets three three sacks uh, next year. I mean, that's a good season because these rookie DTs are getting, you know, one sack. And uh, you look at the Eagles, they've drafted uh, Jordan Davis last year. What'd he do? Not much, but um, that's just the way that position goes. And he probably will still be a great player for them. Um, But it just takes time for that position. I think they got a stud there. Now, to to piggyback off of that in round two, you you found the, what, what you believe is the heir apparent for Cam Jordan and Notre Dame's edge rusher Isaiah Foskey, what were your thoughts on that pick? I mean, a high motor guy. I hate I hate using that word, but it's someone that you know he led Notre Dame in sacks in history. I mean that's not easy. Uh, they had Justin Tuck go through there. I think that was the record that he ended up breaking. It was like twenty six sacks in Notre Dame history, which is uh, extremely impressive. But also four punt blocks, four. So he's athletic, fast. You can play him on special teams. He's willing to play on special teams. Um, he said the team he wanted to go to was the New Orleans Saints. He wasn't saying New Orleans correctly, but uh, I've heard that he has since been corrected. And I'm assuming that Cam Jordan was the one that was correcting him um, when he got in that building because that's not going to fly very long. But Isaiah Foskey is someone – he's probably the guy I'm most excited about uh, in year one just because he probably won't start immediately – but he's definitely going to get a ton of playing time, and there's going to be, you know, a rotation of Granderson, Turner, Bosky, and whoever is producing will get most of those snaps. So it's that that position opposite of Cam is really wide open. I still don't um, cross off them signing a, a veteran at that position, but I I think them getting a first round talent in Foskey uh, helps a lot. Can you picture Isaiah Foskey wearing number fifty five? I can, and I believe that that that's what he's wearing, and uh, it's a cool number, and um, I, I think it fits him. I think it fits him of of his, you know, of his build and uh, good little edge rusher. I think fifty five will fit. Going back to Brissy, Brissy will wear jersey number ninety for the New Orleans Saints. Kendra Miller, the third round selection, the running back out of TCU. You know, great runner with. Elite, not elite speed, but good speed once he gets into the second level. Uh, just a physical, hard-nosed runner that ran for over 1,000 yards last year for, for TCU. What are your thoughts on that pick? Uh, first off, he's wearing 25, so taking that Reggie Bush number. So 
Uh, once again, those jerseys can be recycled and reused. You can just put over uh, Miller over Bush, and that, and that works. Um, defensive tackle, the end, running back. Those were kind of the three needs that we needed, and um, they addressed it the first three rounds, which is extremely rare. We never see it. We may not ever see it. So uh, Diana Rossini actually tweeted out, I think it was early day three, that the Saints, people inside the Saints building were like, this draft is falling perfectly for us. I think that kind of showed they were getting the guys that they wanted to get and addressing positions of need. But uh, Miller, I mean, I I am a big Kendra Miller fan. I think if he was in the national championship game, if he played, I think there would have been a different outcome. Not not saying the scoreboard would have looked much different, but I think TCU on offense would have looked a lot uh, more formidable. And I think they looked like kind of a mess without him on the field. And he kind of had to carry that team uh, for a good amount uh, of the season. Um, so I, I think he'll fit in. It, it's really going to depend on what happens with Kamara. But what I like about him is he's not—he's not really content being a backup. He wants—he wants those yeah. carries, and he's going to fight for those carries. And he said he's not, with all due respect, to AK, but I'm coming for that number one spot. And that's kind of what the Saints want. They wanted someone in there for sure to push these guys. And. I, it may even, you know, I'm not saying Kamara's been bad, but it may elevate his play a little bit more, saying, like, I, I got to do a little bit more on the, on this snap so uh, they don't put Kendra in. And then you got to Saturday, and that's when Mickey Loomis said, okay, enough's enough, time to make some moves. And he actually made a trade before the draft even got started on Saturday, <laughs> trading up to the number one pick of the fourth round, and he took an offensive tackle out of Old Dominion in Nick Salvadari. What were your, what were your thoughts on – beefing up the the o-line um i i love the pick and uh it, it was a guy i saw on the screen and i saw him announce it and i was like that name looks really familiar but i can't put a finger on it um and it was someone that i watched in, or in the early draft process you know first over the senior bowl and then uh he actually was one of the linemen they held some eating competition with the linemen and he was the winner of who could eat the most food and gain the most weight in one sitting and he gained nine and a half pounds, um, and he was the winner by far. So that's why that dude um, was in my head. But, you know, I'm saying that to say this, that he's going to be a great fit in New Orleans. He's going to uh, hopefully stay in shape and uh, come to camp in, in shape. But uh, I, I think they got a good stud in uh, Nick and position versatility. He played tackle in college. Uh, at the Senior Bowl, he played center. Uh, they announced him on draft day as a guard. I assume he'll try to work in at one of those two spots. I understand that he's worked mostly on the right side, um, but I don't think that's going to limit him in any way. Uh, Pete's going to be a Frisian next year, and uh, Cesar Ruiz is going to be a Frisian next year. So I think it's important for him, regardless of what the Saints' plans are, is for Pete or Ruiz, to learn both those spots just in case. Um, and whatever works out for him works out for him, but – uh, you got a guy who can play five positions in the offensive line, which is unheard of. I'm not saying he's going to play those things, but uh, great depth and great value at that spot. I knew they were going to trade up. Uh, it was only a matter of time. They they were trying and trying and trying. Um, and the Saints kind of saved us some time trading those seventh-round picks as well. Now, later in the fourth round, you traded back in to go get Jake Hayner, a quarterback out of Fresno State. Now, Brendan, I'm going to be honest with you. At first glance, I didn't like the pick. But the the more that I have dissected it and looked at film and really watched his game in depth, I'm actually a really big fan of Jake Hayner now. 
I, I love Jake Hayner, and I'm not going to be. I'm not going to stand up here and say, yeah, he's Drew Brees. He's going to be the future starter. Um, he may not be. He may, he may not be really anything. But the way I see it right now is you drafted Jake Hayner, who has um, a great relationship with Derek Carr, uh, models his game after Drew Brees, and the way he plays quarterback fits this offense perfectly. It's it's a carbon copy of Drew Brees. Maybe not as talented. Maybe not as accurate. Um, Maybe not as tall, but he still is a good fit for this offense. And if your outlook for Jake Hayner is uh, Derek Carr's backup for four or five years, you have a almost league minimum value at that position. You wouldn't have to pay a Jameis Winston or you know Chase Daniel or someone like that four or five million to back up Derek Carr. You have Jake Hayner on a rookie deal. So if anything, they save themselves you know five million bucks a year, and if they if he turns out to be anything, that's that's amazing. Um, I didn't have much excitement when they drafted Ian Book, but I definitely have excitement about this. Um, it's someone that I've watched in person, and I've I've really grown to like. And you know, he's a winner. Fresno State is a is a place that you know not many top recruits go, and he really turned that that franchise into into a winner. Um, I know David and Derek were there, but I feel like when he's he's been there, they've been a a tough opponent every year, so I love the pick there. Brendan Ertle joining us here from Canal Street Chronicles. Last pick we're going to get to, in my opinion, one of the biggest deals of the draft. How did the Saints get a receiver with a third-round draft grade in the sixth? <laughs> I mean, A.T. Perry is someone that I thought was going to go day two, and uh, when they drafted him, I had my, my spreadsheet open. I had all these players available. And they drafted him, saw A.T. Perry. I was like, wait, he's still available? I was right. so confused. Um, I, I, I had no idea that he was still available at that point. Um, and, of course, the Saints traded Adam Troutman to the Broncos. Uh, makes sense that, that Sean Payton wanted to trade more picks for Adam Troutman. Just might as well. Um, what what, what stroke, struck me about A.T. Uh, Perry was um, – seemed like a quiet guy in the, in the, in the Saints interview. Um, and falling all the way to sixth round with third-round third, third round value is, is a little concerning. Um, but he said himself that he was told it was, quote-unquote, character issues. And he said he's also a very shy and quiet guy. So I could see, you know, in that interview process, um, being very shy and quiet, that could maybe rub some teams off the wrong way. Uh, Christian Gonzalez was a similar was a similar kind of guy. Um, he kind of fell to 17. We didn't think he was going to fall that far. Uh, there was a report that the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, had an interview with him and kind of got a little iffy on him, probably because he's more of a quiet guy. So you know, these are job interviews when when you're going out and talking to these teams. So yeah, you really right. got to present yourself and you got to uh, maybe be someone you're not. Go be, go be outspoken. Talk about yourself for sure. And some of these players just don't maybe have that experience or haven't done a job interview before because they're so talented. They don't need to have, you know, jobs like us. But um, the film is there for AT Perry. The touchdowns are there. Uh, the yards are there. I'm not going to come out and expect huge things for him, but uh, he's coming for that Trayco and Smith roster spot. As as he probably should. Uh, Brendan Erdl <laughs> joining us here for Canal Street Chronicles Hoodat Wednesday. Brendan, appreciate you as always. Uh, enjoy the weekend, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Yes, sir. Uh, I think it's James' time to get up and stretch in this commercial break. 
Yeah, probably so. He, he's looking a little tense over there. <laughs> Brendan, appreciate you, buddy. Yes, sir. And there he goes, Brendan Ertle of Canal Street Chronicles. We'll take our final time out, come back, wrap up today's show, and get you set for the McNeese Coaches Show right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you haven't seen the defending World Series champs in person yet, well, not to worry. The game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with another Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Oakland A's on Saturday, May 20th, and you can be there. All you got to do is register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Wrapping up today's show. And as a quick reminder, the game is your home for the McNeese Coaches Show, presented each and every week by Mr. Bill Seafood Express, Southwest Beverage Company, Line of Bed out of Westlake, and the Southwest Louisiana Law Center. Jim Gazzola will be talking all things Cowboys, and you can hear it right here on the game, beginning in six minutes. As we wrap up today's show, James, looking at the world of the MLB, we talked about the Astros falling earlier today. The Detroit Tigers took down the New York Mets 6-5. to five. There's a game in the top of the ninth right now, 6-6 six to six between the Phillies and the Dodgers. In the bottom of the eighth, the Padres lead the Reds 7-1. to one. And then you had three games just getting underway at the end of one. The Braves and Marlins nodded at zero. Bottom of the first, Tigers lead the Mets in game two of that doubleheader, two to nothing. And then the top of the second, it is knotted up 0-0 between the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Tampa Bay Rays. Sixers Celtics tonight you picked the Celtics to win but the Sixers on the spread yeah but knowing my luck even with like Joel back the Celtics for some reason would win by like 12 just have no, just just Jason knowing Tatum, my luck Jason Tatum would just play absolutely out of his mind and just completely and Brogdon and Brogdon doesn't turn it over late completely screw you over uh, NHL playoffs last night. Florida took a one nothing lead over Toronto, four to two, and then Seattle with a thrilling win over Dallas, five to four in overtime. Both of those series now at one game to none. Tonight's matchups: the Devils and Hurricanes game one, as well as the Oilers and Knights game one. New Jersey and Carolina set for six o'clock. Edmonton and Vegas set for. 8.30. Once again, the Magnese Coaches Show coming up tonight right here on The Game. Come back tomorrow, Cajuns Corner with our guy Jay Walker. We'll preview the weekend series for the Cajuns with ULM. We'll also talk about the golf team and softball's got a big matchup with Louisiana Tech tonight. We'll talk about that tomorrow as well right here on Crunch Time. 4-6, to six, 
right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. I want to take this opportunity to thank our guests today, Tim Brando, legendary sports broadcaster and Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, for joining us talking all things college football. And then Brendan Erdl joining us for Who Dat Wednesday, each and every Wednesday, right here on Crunch Time for James Mesh. I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, and give a hug to your mom and them. And we're back tomorrow, same time, 4 to 6, same station. It's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Let's send it down I-10 to Lake Charles with the voice of the McNeese Coaches Show, Jim Gazzolo.